Well, welcome to the Pasquani Chapel. And for those of you here for the first time, it's great to have you with us. And those who are, are returning, it's great to have you back. Those of you who are out there, all different parts of the world, as usual, we wish you were here. Um, and uh, a few words, I like to start the year with a few words about our chapel. Our service, it's an Episcopal format. And most of us don't come from an Episcopal tradition. In fact, I don't either. And if you asked any of us what his sense of God or a higher power is, you'd probably get, in the normal size of a camp season, 135 different answers. We could never find a religious tradition to cover everybody. But without some sort of established tradition, the prayers can often become superficial. And for that reason, we stay with an Episcopal service. Because over the years, we've built a depth of knowledge of its hymns, of its prayers, and its rituals. Most of the prayers we say come from the Judeo-Christian tradition. The Psalms are from the Torah or Old Testament. And the readings are from the Old and New Testament. I pulled up Josh Birchie's mezuzah, which is in the Jewish tradition, a blessing on the house. And normally this hangs back where we all enter the chapel on a tree. Uh, but Josh made this one summer in the shop. And I encourage everybody to bring symbols of their own religions to the chapel as Josh did. We occasionally use sayings and prayers from Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, and from secular Sanskrit texts. Truth comes from every quarter. Wisdom comes to us through people of all races, nationalities, economic backgrounds and beliefs as the hymn that we often say or sing during this first chapel says, from differing times and manners. So even if you do not believe in the theology, I hope you'll think about the wisdom in the different prayers, in the Lord's Prayer, which we say every day, forgive us our trespasses, our offenses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Listen to the words of these hymns. Even if you do not believe in every word, there are powerful messages in each, and that is why we choose them. There are things in there that we can all believe in. What's important in this chapel and to us here is not our religious beliefs, but the values that we discuss. The chapel talks aren't theological. It's not, they're not about the nature of God Instead, they're about principles that are endorsed by all major religions. Respect, friendship, honesty, thoughtfulness and consideration, kindness. And year after year, we talk about these same topics because they are topics that we need to keep at the front of our minds. They keep us growing. This chapel 
is our place to stop and think about what's most important. And you'll often hear us say that Pasquani, uh, Pasquani's activities are means to an end, not an end in themselves. In other words, they help us learn to be the people that we want to be, to bring out our best. How do we treat the other people we're doing them with? How do we give others support? How do we show respect for others and for ourselves? The activities are the greater means are the means to the greater ends of the values that we talk about here and in tree talks and in circles. Values that we try to practice at Pasquani and then when we leave in our various homes and communities out where you all are now. We spend less time in chapel than pretty much any other part of camp. We spend more time on the lake, more time in the theater, more time in the shop, more time in the dining hall. But this chapel is where we set the goals of what we want to be as a community. The goals that make Pasquani work. Where we set our eyes on our best and where we set our vision as a community on what we want to become. Where we lift up our eyes unto the hills. We're missing the good music of Bob Bankston, but we hope that we'll be able to fill that in with some other music of some sort and also miss the singing of the camp uh, and hearing these hymns. Now, I'd, I'd like to read... I'd like to read a passage from Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I'd like to start off this morning talking... (laughs) I'd like to start off this evening talking about a story that some of you may have heard me talk about in chapel about five years ago. The summer before I started in the seventh grade at Pell Memorial High School, a graduate of the high school went with about a thousand other people to prepare for what is now called the Freedom Summer. the guy's name is Michael or Mickey Schwerner. Uh, Mickey was probably about a decade ahead of me in high school. But he 
as well as the other thousand people felt that we weren't at our best in our country, that, that we were not living up to the ideals we had set for ourselves. And they went to do something about that. They were organized by somebody who I believe was a social studies teacher in New York City. And their goal was to go to Mississippi where the black population was not allowed to vote. There were all sorts of barriers to voting for them. And Mickey and two other civil rights workers went ahead into Mississippi as an advanced team to set up a program in, uh, I believe it was Philadelphia, Mississippi. While everybody else continued to train um, as a group. And word came back not long after that, that the three of them had gone missing. And there was a massive search that went on. And the other people that were preparing to go down to Mississippi to work saw this and had to decide if they were going to risk their own lives to do this work. Mickey, uh, our high school service award is named after Mickey Schwerner. During the course of the summer, most of those people did organize. And Bob Moses, as, along with a number of other very determined, purposeful people, organized this program, and the vast majority of people went to Mississippi. Later during the summer, the bodies of those three guys were found in an earthen dam where they'd been buried after they'd been murdered. And you think of the courage that it took and the determination of those people who knew the risks that were before them to go ahead and work to bring out the best in our country. This was something that was new. Everybody was learning as they went along. But that didn't deter them. How do you respond to this kind of situation? How do you put out your best, make, accomplish the goal you're seeking in the face of that kind of challenge? This is a very big picture story. I want to take that now to camp and the little goals that we face every year. And again, every summer in this first chapel talk, I talk about 
sweeping Mem Hall porch with somebody. And I'd started my system, was thinking about my system, how I was going to do it. I was pursuing it. And I noticed the person that was sweeping with me was sort of randomly sweeping here and then sweeping over here and then over here. I looked over at him and said, what's your system on this? How are you going about this? And he said, oh, I'm not very good at sweeping. And I said, wait a minute. It's not a matter of your genes. You can learn to be a good sweeper. This is not something that uh, is, is not attainable. Um, and this willingness to go after things and recognize that I'm not good at, I may not be good at this yet, but I can get good at this. And if we care enough about something, if it's something that's worth learning, we can get good. We can get better. Uh, I am a big opponent of the, the pursuit of perfection because I think it undermines our motivation to get better and better and better. One of my grad school professors named Carol Dweck was very helpful for me as a teacher because I knew that there were, actually I have a hard time remembering any student that wasn't talented, but there were things that were blocking some students and I couldn't understand what they were. And I'd see people who were really good athletes who would sort of fizzle, their promise wouldn't be, be achieved. They didn't keep getting better. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And she, as a grad school professor, and she's now written a book called Mindset, in which she talks about this. She studied and realized that if somebody had what she called a growth mindset, if somebody had the idea that they could keep getting better at things, there are ways of getting better at things, if they had that mindset, they did keep getting better at things. And they saw challenges, not as roadblocks, but as ways to grow. On the other hand, somebody who had a fixed mindset thought, okay, you have only this much intelligence, you have only this much athletic ability, there's nothing we could do to make them better. Those people tend to avoid challenges because it means that they, if, if, if they don't do well at the challenge, it means they're not as smart or as able as they thought they were, or they didn't want people to realize that they weren't as able as other people might think they are. So as a result, those people back off of those challenges, and as a result, don't get to grow. So how does this tie in with that earlier story? Bob Moses and those thousand people who were going to work in Mississippi saw that we can be better. That we were not a fixed entity. They were showing confidence that our nation can grow and get better. That is one of the things that I hope we recognize this summer, whether you're here or elsewhere. I was talking earlier with Townley and Aiden about 
how much harder it is to be dealing with this whole new situation where many of our rituals don't, don't work. They're not uh, in place because we're, we don't have all of you here. Uh, and so we have to think things through a lot more. But we can still keep getting better. We may not be perfect, but we can keep pursuing a better and excellent result. We may not be good at that yet. So those people working in Mississippi should be models for all of us. Models in thinking, what is worth my time? What is worth going after? And were you here this summer? I'd be saying, all right, what challenges do you want to take on this summer? Those little challenges that we learn to do here are going to help us with the big challenges elsewhere. Our communities need us, whether you're there or here, to be at our best. And if each of us is working toward his best, each of us is going to keep growing, and the people around us are going to keep growing, and our community is going to keep growing. So in the words of Mary Oliver, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? What do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? At the start of her poem, The Wild Geese, Mary Oliver says, you do not have to be good. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. What is it we plan to do with this wild and precious summer, here or elsewhere, which will be over before you know it? I can't believe we're already at the 14th of July. We have a wealth of opportunities, no matter where we are, no matter how restricted things are, there are still lots of opportunities before us. And this is something we need to keep reminding ourselves. John Wood said a number of years ago, you may not understand it now, but you are among the most fortunate people in North America for being here. Because of all the opportunities the opportunities for growth, the opportunities for learning. Two and a half years ago, an alum wrote in his college essay, many people think that camp is nothing more than canoeing and arts and crafts, but for me it is where I have been taught my best lessons, gained my best values, and made my best friends. You just feel the growth in that statement. And many of us feel this way. It's an opportunity for all of us. But this summer is an opportunity also. 
Beverly Daniel Tatum, a college classmate of mine, who later became president of Spelman College, spoke at Wesleyan's graduation in 2017, and she quoted Fred Beekner and paraphrased Thomas Jefferson when she said, may you find for yourselves that place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. The world, in some way, needs every one of us. And the world is healthier, richer, stronger, if our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. The things that we're passionate about meet what the world needs. The principal at Concord High School a number of years ago contracted Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, in, 19, in 2016. When somebody asked how he was dealing with it, he said that it helped him when he heard someone point out that most of us are temporarily enabled. We go from being frail as a baby to being frail in old age. But the time in between, we are enabled. What are we going to do with the time that we have? Are we going to make the most of it? Are we going to make the most of our abilities? Are we going to number our days? Carpe diem. I try to say this to myself every morning as I get out of bed. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Again, it's something we all need to be reminded of. And I think of Alexander Hamilton in the Broadway play saying, I'm not going to throw away my shot. I'm going to use that time when I'm enabled. I'm not going to throw it away. And you don't have to wait. You know, the Hanukkah question that we ask every summer, what's the most important time in human existence? It's now. You don't have to wait to be an adult. You can start being a musician, an author, a ball player, an actor, an explorer right now, wherever you are. And you don't have to do it perfectly. And I ask my annual question, how many people are going to make a mistake this summer? <laughs> All the hands here are going up. Matthew? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> His hand went up too. Um, no pressure. <laughs> um, okay. So if, if we're not making mistakes, we're not growing. We're not pushing and challenging ourselves. And we must dispel from our minds the idea that strong people never make mistakes. Richard Needham says, strong people make as many and as ghastly mistakes as weak people. The difference is that strong people admit them, laugh at them, learn from them, and that is how they become strong. Making mistakes is a part of learning and growing. Confucius said, our greatest strength is not in never failing, but in rising every time we fall. Things get too easy. Challenge yourself more. Teddy Roosevelt, the only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. And I also like to talk about, to recall some of the things we say to ourselves, to talk ourselves out of trying something new. Think about, all right, so what are some of those things? 
what are some of the things we say to ourselves to talk ourselves out of trying something new? It's hard. It's hard. It's too hard. It's hard. Tell me. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. So, and you can hear this in some of those comments. Sometimes our fear of making mistakes blocks us off. So the other element we talk about this summer, this Sunday, is courage. Having the courage to stand up to those fears, to stand up to those voices in ourselves that are discouraging us from trying. The courage to try new things, the courage to take a stand. I mean, God, just think of that inspiring courage of those Mississippi workers. Our traditional topic this summer is opportunity and our responsibility is seize those opportunities and the courage to seize them. First step, stop and think. What will I do with my one wild and precious summer? What will I do with my one wild and precious life? There are so many things there for us. Since Mr. Ned's day, we've talked about the progression, stop and think. And then you take that thought and you sow it. You sow a thought and you reap an act. You sow an act and you reap a habit. You sow a habit and you reap a character. And you sow a character, you plant a character and you reap a destiny. We often wondered, used to wonder if that was original with Mr. Ned, but one of our camp parents found it going back to the Buddha. So thousands of years. So sow those thoughts with care. Hans Selye said, to make a great dream come true, you must first have a great dream. So dream great things. Take an idea, a vision that gives you purpose in life and then implement that, that vision. Our prayers in Dana at night or whatever ritual you use at home, they might be lying in bed before going to sleep. Think about that vision. What was today like? Did I go after things that I thought were important today? How can tomorrow be better? So what do I want to achieve? To swim, to sail, to row, to meet people, to sweep a dorm, to learn how to sweep Memhall porch, to grow as a leader, to teach others. Our days are short and precious. And we didn't know last summer how short and precious those days were. The summer flies, carpe diem. Now is the most important time in human existence. 
Now is the most important time in each of our lives. Stoke the furnace of that steam engine. Set off despite the obstacles. Lift and encourage other people. Put courage in others. Now is the time to wake our souls, stretch every nerve, and press with vigor on. Now is the time to bring our highest dreams to shape. Now is the time to make each day a masterpiece. So what will you do with your one wild and precious life? To paraphrase John Erskine, the greatest shop projects are yet to be constructed. The greatest skits are yet to be written. Some people have been working on those to have some virtual skits. The greatest sailing races are yet to be run. The strongest communities are yet to be built. Our nation's strength is yet to be built. And they are to be built by you.